1: Available at PrimalBlueprint.com. Past episodes are available for download or to review written summaries at blog.primalblueprint.com. And
0: now here's your host, L Russ. Hey everyone, welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast here from Malibu, California. We have James D. Nicolantonio on our show today. He wrote a book called The Salt Fix. Why Experts Got It Wrong, and How Eating More Might Save Your Life. Welcome to the show.
1: Thanks for having me on,
0: So you're a doctor of pharmacy. You're also a cardiovascular research scientist and doctor of pharmacy at St. Luke's Mid-America Heart Institute in Kansas City, Missouri, the the heartland. Tell us what your journey was to go down the road where you were like, hmm, salt. That's what I need to talk about.
1: <laughs> yeah, So it kind of started out where in high school, I was always athletic. I wrestled, I ran cross country. I really knew the importance of salt to my athletic performance. And really, a lot of athletes understand this intuitively, but for some reason, a lot of athletes out there still kind of follow that low salted. You know, I always knew I didn't perform well if I didn't up my salt intake when I was either wrestling or, or especially when I was running in the heat because I would lose so much salt and sweat. I just never really knew how much. And so, you know, even even in, in my competitive years, I, I kind of already understood that just this blanket low salt advice didn't make much sense to me, even before, let's say, like I was a healthcare professional. And then what ended up happening, I, I ended up working as a community pharmacist and I started having patients to me and kind of complaining of dizziness and fatigue and um, And especially when they were like standing from a seated position, their heart rate would go up a lot or they would, you know, nearly pass out. And they were put on a diuretic and they were told to not add salt to their food by their doctor. So they're, so by all means, they were doing everything that they were supposed to be doing, but they were having like real issues, like real symptomatic issues that, that were troubling them enough to bring it to my attention. Like what? So, so they were coming up to me and literally saying, you know, I'm, I'm, I live near faint. Um, I have no exercise tolerance anymore. Uh, I'm having severe salt cravings, but my doctor is telling me not to add the salt anymore. Um, Dizziness, lightheadedness, muscle spasms, muscle cramps, things like that. And so I would tell these people, you know, why don't you go into the office, talk to your doctor about this, you know, maybe get your sodium levels checked. And it actually happened, I did that with a few patients. And sure enough, they came back to me and they said they had really low sodium levels in the blood and that they were dehydrated. They had like elevated uh, BUN, uh, blood urea nitrogen, even though they were drinking good good amounts of water, which is a good indication of salt deficiency. Because when you have an elevated BUN and you're drinking normal amounts of fluid, it indicates a reduction in blood flow to the kidneys, And generally, salt deficiency causes that because it reduces blood volume and your BUN goes up. So most doctors, when your BUN is elevated, they'll just be like, oh, you're just dehydrated. Just drink more water, right? Well, a lot of the times it's probably salt deficiency. And that's what was happening with a lot of uh, my patients. So what ended up happening, and I do have one anecdote in the book, is one woman I told, go get your sodium levels checked. And they were and the doctor cut the diuretic in half and told her to start salting her foods again. All the symptoms went away like as soon as that happened. So basically the best thing that any healthcare professional can kind of get that quick of a response and that quick of an improvement in someone's health just by adding salt back to their diet. And so really that was the moment where I was like, "We need, I need to really look at this low salt. Something's amiss here. It's not matching up with what I'm seeing as a community pharmacist.
0: Yeah, no, I get it. Listen, um, I've preached this on the show before because I've had adrenal fatigue a couple of times in life due to hypothyroidism. You know, wrote uh, most people listening know I wrote the Paleothyroid Solution in the past year and talked a lot about that. But one of the things that healed me from that was literally going through a couple of containers of Celtic sea salt. And there's a lot of other sea uh, salts to use too. But before we go further, let's talk about this nightmare situation where back in the day they stripped all of the salt of its natural components, right? That's really what gave a lot of people the problem is this iodized crappy, I'll say the brand, Morton salt, any of that kind of table salt. That's what causes the problems. And it's funny because my stepfather is from an island off of Denmark and his whole belief throughout the years was like, no, no, everyone in my family has lived till you know 100. We salt everything but the thing was is when he came to America, he was then salting it with the crappy salt that was not native to what he was used to, right? When they were on the island off of Denmark, they were all eating real salt. So let's talk about the difference between real salt and this crappy salt that does cause problems.
1: Yeah, no, that's like honestly one of the biggest questions that I get and I and I cover this in the book. Is what is the difference between, you know, normal Morton table salt and, you know, like real, real salts. Right. And there is a tremendous, when I started researching that topic, I was actually pretty blown away about the differences in regards to just normal table salt and, you know, more natural sea salt. So there definitely is a difference. And first of all, Morton salt does have dextrose or sugar added to it. I don't know why they do that. It makes no sense to me. So they're adding the wrong white crystal to kind of a, a healthy white crystal, making it less healthy. No idea why they do that, but it's there. If you look at the back of the package, dextrose is absolutely an ingredient there.
0: I, I would also just, side note, be like, why do they put mercury as a preservative in vaccines when they don't need to? Like, you know, I mean, there's just so many dumb things that are done out there that are detrimental. Yeah.
1: It just makes absolutely no sense. Um but another thing that they add to table salt is an anti-caking agent. So, you know, real salt sometimes is clumpy. Um, and so what they end up doing is they add these anti-caking agents. So it flows smoothly. So that's another,
0: so it looks pretty,
1: (laughs) it looks pretty, but you know, obviously we care about what's going on inside of us, um, rather than uh, appearance, but you know, for most consumers, they don't, they're not going to recognize that. Right. So you know, it took a little bit of research to figure, you know, that they actually added these anti-caking agents to the salt. And they actually bleach it white. So the salt, most salts are not that white. There are some, um, but they, they bleach it white. And so that can't be good, right? They're, they're using a chemical process to bleach the salt white. And they're using really, really high heat in order to dry the salt out. And it's stripped of all the minerals. So it's literally just sodium and chloride plus plus dextrose, right? So they added something bad to it and it doesn't have any of the other minerals. And what I really though try to reveal in my book is that there are a lot of hypes to some of the what we think are really healthy salts, which are definitely healthier than normal table salt. And I do actually like Celtic salt. I, I, it actually is very high in magnesium. And so I do recommend Celtic if someone is, you know, their dietary intake is low on magnesium. And honestly, so many people have a very low magnesium intake. And, you know, it, it's, you know, some references will tell you that 75% of people in the U.S. aren't even hitting the RDA for magnesium. And so if you can get Celtic magnesium and Celtic salt, great. Um, and there, there's another uh, salt. It's called Ancient Lakes Magnesium Infused Salt. And so like it sounds, it is actually the highest uh, magnesium salt. It's got 44 milligrams of magnesium per 10 grams of salt. And Celtic's pretty close too. Celtic has about 40 milligrams, so just slightly under it. But if you look at other salts, like Himalayan salt, it has virtually no magnesium. It only has 1.4 milligrams of magnesium per 10 grams of salt. So,
0: but it's a little higher in iron than than some of the others. So there's that little extra
1: in there. Yeah, it's got some iron um, and it's definitely very high in iodine. It's just kind of inconsistent. So you, I've seen batches that actually have like a milligram of iodine per 10 grams of salt. And some can be only 100 micrograms per 10. So it's like kind of inconsistent, but it definitely has decent... Okay,
0: that's really good to know. I want to highlight that because a lot of people in our community love salt. We understand the importance of it. That's why it's so great we're having this discussion. Um, But a lot of people, especially actually today I spoke with someone who's going through hypothyroidism and often with hypothyroidism, You're low in sodium, also low in magnesium. And so Celtic salt is usually kind of the choice there. Um, And this person was talking about taking Himalayan. And it's interesting because on a taste level, for me, I prefer the Celtic or like Hawaiian sea salt. And so the taste of Himalayan turns me off to it kind of naturally. Um, But that's a good note to make. If there's inconsistencies in that, in the products that you've seen, then that's something to be wary of.
1: No, 100%. It's anywhere from, I've seen batches that are 100 micrograms per 10 grams of salt of iodine in Himalayan. Some are less, some are 250 micrograms, and some are 1,000 micrograms of iodine per 10 grams of salt. And that's like the upper limit, right? And so most people do consume between eight and 10 grams. So you could be hitting your upper limit if you're consuming all of your salt as Himalayan salt. So Absolutely. Um, a lot of people, though, aren't getting enough iodine, right? So there's 30 countries technically still iodine deficient and probably 50 to 60 that are iodine insufficient, which obviously, obviously can lead to hypothyroidism. And what's it's like this vicious cycle because hypothyroidism actually leads to salt wasting because the thyroid hormones actually allow the kidneys to reabsorb salt. I mean, when I discovered that, I was like, holy cow, this is like the salt and thyroid and adrenal and all this stuff is really more connected than I even really, really knew about before I started researching the book.
0: Oh, absolutely. And I, you can really heal yourself with salt. I've done it. It's a part of any kind of get well program. And and so I'm really glad that this book is uh, shedding light on this topic for everybody.
1: Yeah, no, like, that's the thing, right? We are salty people. We contain 3,200 milligrams of sodium per liter of blood. Like, we are really salty. And so we need to maintain that saltiness. Like, the kidneys are filtering three and a half pounds of salt every single day. It's losing that salt that's the issue because they have to reabsorb using a tremendous amount of energy, they have to actively reabsorb all of that three and a half pounds of salt every single day. And if they start spilling salt, that's a huge problem. And so many things cause us to spill salt, like caffeine, and we lose a lot of salt through sweat, and I go through all these other you know, medications that cause us to lose salt. So when we start losing our internal ocean, that's a huge problem. Getting too much? Not a problem. Our kidneys can easily just let anything go out the kidneys that they don't need. Like,
0: and you really feel it when you've had too much salt. And so, yeah. there's a real obvious indicator, you know, uh, of, of of what's happening. You're like, oof, I really overdid it, and and you feel it. So you just intuitively know to to cut back.
1: You really do the taste receptors unlike any other taste there's five tastes right salt is the only taste where the taste receptors will flip if you have too much and it provides you an aversion signal to salt. And everybody's like you said everybody has experienced that where they taste something and it's way too salty. And the reason is is so we have this internal like safety mechanism controlling our intake anyway. And so you know you you can certainly eat a ton of salt in one sitting it's going to taste really salty and you're going to decrease your intake later down the line. And your kidneys can handle up to 10 times as much salt as a normal salt intake. And in the book, I kind of explain how over the last 10,000 years, we use salt as our main food preservative and we consumed up to 10 times as much salt as we do today because now we have refrigerators and we don't need salt on every single food to preserve it. So- We're not even consuming a high amount of salt compared to the last 10,000 years when we didn't have any of those chronic diseases that we now are dealing with.
0: uh, Tell us a few of the things that can happen. You know, too little salt can cause you to crave sugar and refined carbs, right? And you talk about how it can send the body into semi-starvation mode. So if you could just highlight a couple of things around those two topics.
1: Yeah, no, um, that's one of the most interesting things that people get out of the book is that Becoming deficient in salt or consuming a low-salt diet may actually lead to sugar and drug addiction. And when I discovered that, I mean, the chapter alone is over 100 references. So this isn't just like me thinking that this is what happens. It absolutely happens in animals, and low salt deficiency in animals has been shown and proven to. It, it pro- leads. It leads to some drug addicted uh, drug addicted so movies. I mean, <laughs> well it cross sensitizes, um, the animals to other, um, substances of abuse like Adderall. So it ma- makes them more susceptible to becoming addicted to substances of abuse like cocaine, um, and amphetamines.
0: Is that because the adrenals are starving for the salt? Is that because the, the, that, that, that that's the logical conclusion I would make is that the adrenals in that moment, because of that Adderall, because of what it's doing to the adrenals would absolutely screw that, screw that up.
1: Yeah. I mean, certainly not out of the realm of possibility and, and be you know, the adrenals are connected, you know, with everything. Right. And so it, the research shows though, that like, if an animal's depleted in salt, how the heck does it know to like go to a salt lick and eat more? Right. And how it knows that is actually salt deficiency activates the reward system in the brain so that you crave salt. And that when you act, when an animal would find it, they would eat more of it because they're getting a greater reward. So We know that what ends up happening, if we become deficient in salt or we're following the low salt advice, which obviously I don't believe is correct, we can be activating our reward system. But now things like sugar and drugs of abuse can kind of hijack that reward system in the brain. So it's really interesting that our own internal mechanism to prevent us from dying of salt deficiency by hypersensitizing our reward for salt when we're deficient can now kind of cross over to sugar and drug addiction. So Very interesting. Yeah, it's, it's um, I have a ton of references in the book on it, and so this isn't just like some hypothesis. Uh, so, I mean, if you think about it from just that perspective of, alone, if salt deficiency can increase our cravings for sugar and potentially cause us to become addicted to substances of abuse, and that's been shown in animals, why would we ever want to tell people to cut their salt intake just from that aspect alone of increasing cravings for refined carbs and sugars and potentially causing drug addiction. Just it honestly makes no sense. And I wrote an entire article on this and published it in Vice a few weeks ago. So if people want to check out more about it, they can either pick up the book or they can check out that article.
0: Wow. Uh, one of the things we hear all the time is on, oh, you know, oh no 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 I've got I've got high blood pressure, so I can't, you know, can't eat salt. And my thing would be like you probably have high blood pressure because you don't have enough salt because true real salt regulates that, right? So Get into that a little bit, because that's such a false sense, right? And your example in the beginning was perfect about how these people get put on this hamster wheel, right? They're craving salt, yeah, their doctor's telling them not to have it, and and so on and so on.
1: Sure. Yeah, no, I 100% believe that low salt it actually causes hypertension, and there's so much evidence indicating that. So when we cut our salt intake, what ends up happening is we become insulin resistant, And the reason is, is because that helps us elevate insulin levels and the kidneys maintain their sensitivity to insulin and insulin helps the kidneys retain more salt. So that's that's number one. How And we know that almost every person with hypertension is underlying insulin resistance. And in fact, there are- That's right. Blood, high blood pressure usually equals insulin resistance for
0: everyone listening. So if you've got relatives or anyone else, then also check HbA1c and other things because they might likely also be insulin resistant.
1: Yeah, 100%. I mean, so many really leading academics have even shown that prior to people developing hypertension- most of the time they develop insulin resistance before they develop hypertension. So it definitely can cause hypertension because insulin activates the sympathetic nervous system, it increases heart rate, it constricts the arteries. And so we know 100% that insulin resistance can induce hypertension. And we know that low-salt diets cause insulin resistance. So just from that aspect alone.
0: Yeah, just from that, I mean, there's so many things you've already mentioned alone to just not believe in this low-salt business, but be absolutely diligent about what salt you choose.
1: Yeah, no, a hundred percent. And because as we covered only certain salts have other minerals in that at a decent concentration like magnesium. and, And so, which is important. Um, so, but back to like what happens when we, we cut our salt intake, that's potentially causing hypertension is the, our actual blood vessels become resistant to the vasodilating properties of insulin. So insulin isn't a demon, right? Like we need insulin. It has a ton of function in the body. It's when you become resistant to insulin that, that there's a big issue. And low salt diets have been shown to lead to um, the, the arteries and the blood vessels becoming resistant to the vasodilating properties of insulin. So that literally increases peripheral vascular resistance, constricting the arteries, and that can lead to hypertension. And so when you start looking at beyond blood pressure, because everyone just hyper focuses on blood pressure, but it's so funny when I go into the book and I actually show that the reduction in blood pressure when you cut your salt intake is generally just a reduction in blood volume and dehydration and isn't even a good thing. That really just blows people's minds. Because if if that's the one hat that the low salt like advocates can try to hang hang, you know, lowering salt intake on is lower blood pressure. And then in the book, I show that that's not even a good thing. And then you start adding up all the harms. It really makes absolutely no sense to your salt intake.
0: Absolutely. Well, tell us about this one, which is, you know, eating salt and getting enough can enhance athletic and sexual performance. What? Get in there.
1: Talk about it. Um, Yeah, no, this is a really important topic. So this isn't just hypothesis. Clinical studies have shown that when people are put on low-salt diets, um, let's take men for example. Men absolutely have an increased risk of erectile dysfunction. It just, it just happens. And when you're having a reduction in blood flow to organs and to tissues, that can obviously lead to erectile dysfunction. So salt equals blood circulation, and that obviously equals you know better erectile function. So low-salt diets do increase the risk of erectile dysfunction. And so people are taking, you know, Viagra and all these pills and literally they might just be, you know, they just need to up their salt intake. So that's one. But, you know, even even Aristotle understood that animals have a greater drive to basically, you know, engage in intercourse and they have better litters and the, you know, the pregnant animals produce more milk when they have a higher salt intake and the the birth size of the litters are greater with a higher salt intake and in the book i go through a study published in the lancet one of the best journals ever that actually studied over 2000 pregnant women put them on a low salt diet or put them on a high salt diet the low salt diet doubled miscarriages it tripled perinatal death so that so basically you know the the child the child born within the first 30 days they were at a three times higher risk of dying than the mothers who were on a high salt diet. And what we, what we fear about salt so much is high blood pressure and even preeclampsia, right? Where women who are pregnant are having like protein spilling in their urine and kidney issues and high blood pressure, giving massive doses of salt actually treated preeclampsia. And we're finding out that, you know, pregnancy is a low blood volume state because blood is flowing to the child and the mother's actually depleted in blood volume and they actually need more salt. Um, and, and, Studies have shown in pregnant women that 20 grams of salt actually uh, reduces their blood pressure. So for pregnant women and, you know, even from the iodine aspect, a lot of salts have good amounts of iodine, which if you're deficient in iodine, I mean, that is a leading cause of, of mental retardation in children, Not the, the pregnant mother not getting enough iodine. So you know, from a fertility and, and offspring perspective, salt is really important, um, and so the, it's just there's just a massive section in my book about this, but it, you know it was really revealing, you know, when actually the studies were showing that even bleeding in the mother and um, swelling, like something we always blame on salt, right, is like swelling in the extremities actually worsened by a low salt diet. Um, so honestly, everything that you think about salt. You need to just read the book because it's probably the exact opposite of what you're thinking.
0: You know, it's funny because I would go on hikes with friends and sometimes there'd be time before hiking for a while and like your hands get like sausage fingers, especially if we're in like the heat. And I remember once someone was like, oh... I'm, I'm bloating up, like I think I had too much salt. And I'm like, I think it might be that you didn't have enough. <laughs> it's like that was my, I was the exact opposite. I was like, I actually think this might be a, need some salt solution.
1: No, it's 100%. Basically swelling, what happens is, is what salt and fluids start going into, they start coming out of the blood vessel and they start going into like the interstitial space. So your your vessels are becoming more leaky. It's not salt doing that. Like salt, our bodies like handle salt completely fine. It's when your blood vessels start becoming leaky and it starts, your fluid starts spilling into your interstitial fluid. That's when you start getting swelling. So nothing to do with salt though. Um,
0: Yeah, that's what I figured.
1: (laughs) Well, studies showed literally low salt diets worsen swelling. So uh,
0: yeah, that's what I would, that's exactly the conclusion I would, I would logically draw just based on my personal experience with salt and also just there's a couple other arenas where people might need more salt. You mentioned pregnancy, uh, athletics, and also doing ketogenic uh, diets as well. Often people need to really increase uh, intentionally the sodium.
1: Yeah. No, I mean, go to any keto Facebook page. I mean, there's so many people suffering from the keto flu and preventing them from from kind of breaking through those first few weeks of a ketogenic diet, and they don't understand what's going on. And it's because they're... Be- Becoming salt depleted. So, when you cut out your carbohydrate intake, your insulin levels go down, which are helping your kidneys reabsorb salt. And so, you start spilling more salt. And ketones are negatively charged. And within the first week of a ketogenic diet, they'll pull positively charged sodium ions with them until your body can ramp up production of ammonium, NH4. And then you're losing that. Positively charged molecule with the negatively charged ketones. So absolutely, when people are like flying high at 400 grams of carbohydrates for the for decades, and then they want to all of a sudden skydive down to 60 grams of carbs and dropping their insulin, they need a parachute to help them with that huge drop in insulin. And that parachute is more salt. And you know, talk. You talk to you know Dr. Finney or any of the leading experts and you look at some of the studies on people who cut their carb intake, most people need an extra two grams of sodium, which is just under a teaspoon of salt for about the first week of the ketogenic diet. And they need about a half of a teaspoon extra of salt for the second week. And some people don't ever stop spilling salt when they cut their carbs. It just depends how reliant your kidneys have become on elevated insulin levels to reabsorb salt. And people with really bad insulin resistance or really overweight, when they cut their carbohydrate intake. Those are the the people who experience the keto flu the worst because their kidneys have relied on insulin so much to reabsorb salt that when the insulin levels drop, their kidneys like freak out and, and like they forgot how to reabsorb salt without insulin. So it's a big issue. And if people just kind of and I go through the book on on some of the best ways to integrate salt and how much and, you know, things like that. But it, it, it's a tremendous issue out there that a lot of people are dealing with.
0: One of the uh, sort of protocols I discuss sometimes and suggest to people, especially when people are healing from adrenal issues and they're on their way to solving the thyroid issue, whether it's naturally or taking thyroid hormones, um, and often they are depleted in sodium. But one of the things is I, I, you know, if you don't even like the taste of salt, you should use it medicinally. And one of the things you can do is in the morning, have a glass of water and take a pinch of healthy salt right down the hatch, you know, Um, if you don't want to salt your food, because I'm not a big salt the food person, but I will medicinally take uh, a dab here and there or when I need it just to get it down, you know, so that's another way to think about it as well, because a lot of people are like, oh, but I don't like salty stuff. And you're like, well, then you don't have to salt it, but you should be salting your body still in another way. And one of those things and a lot, I know a lot of bodybuilders and like athletes do it too, where they wake up and they have they have a little bit of healthy salt. Um, I don't know. I just, I like that protocol and it really helped me along the way when I healed my adrenal issues to sort of start that off because it's, we kind of look at it like the adrenal glands run on that and you've got to give it a little bit of what it's looking
1: for. Yeah, no, exactly. Basically, the low salt advice is so stressful on the adrenal glands because they have to massively pump out aldosterone to reabsorb the salt. And so, in animal studies, if you put them on a low-salt diet, their, their adrenals are constantly pumping out aldosterone, that they actually hypertrophy. And then they'll just, after a while, they just can't keep up, right? And so it'll eventually just... And with people too, with the high aldosterone. Yeah, yeah. I know. I, I mean, I haven't come across a study that actually shows that, but I don't see how, how we can just continually, constantly pump out aldosterone on low-sodium diets and not cause the adrenal glands to eventually burn out. Um, and so I, I absolutely think that that can a hundred percent happen. And we know when the adrenals aren't functioning well, we know Addison's disease leads to salt deficiency through salt wasting kidney disease. And so there, you know, there are definitely people out there with a ton of adrenal issues and you know, the salt and the iodine and all that is interconnected and only certain salts have good amounts of iodine. And I kind of have uh, some of, some of those recommended in the book. But that's a big issue too. Some people are are consuming just table salt and thinking it's enough, and you sweat out a ton of iodine, too. And so you want a salt that has good amounts, but you want stable amounts. You don't want to potentially consume Himalayan where you're getting an entire milligram of iodine, but you want consistent amounts. And so two salts that seem to have consistent amounts of iodine is redmond real salt. And the other one is that Ancient Lakes magnesium-infused salt. It has The ancient lake salt has 121 micrograms of iodine per 10 grams of salt, and that's great. That's like just what you want. That's like perfect. You don't want too much, but you still want to get some because if you're sweating it out and you're not replacing it, The the reduction in iodine in athletes, I think, is honestly an underestimated um, issue, and that can obviously lead to hypothyroidism, and then you have to work out harder because your thyroid hormones aren't working well and your metabolism's down, and literally, you just need the substance that you're sweating out, but you're consuming a salt that doesn't have iodine.
0: Right, and obviously, there's other ways to get it. On that same note, though, and I've said it before in the podcast, I always give a warning about iodine because people will research hypothyroidism, see iodine as a component, they go out, they start taking iodine, and then actually, can really mess with whatever problem they have. Have, including Hashimoto's, and it can also in high amounts cause really awful detox symptoms and be harmful. So, the levels that you're talking about are totally normal and appropriate. And then we've got seafood, sea vegetables, right? There's other ways to get it in there, but I'm so with you that this is the best natural way to. And it's the easy, what's easier than taking a dab, of, taking a salt lick? I mean, this is really nothing. Uh, that's even like less maintenance than taking a pill out of a vitamin bottle and swallowing it right?
1: Like, honestly, it's seriously the easiest thing you can do.
0: I love it. Um, what are some other, what are some other, other stories that you've heard of this nightmare salt depletion, ruining someone and them coming back to the brink? Love to hear maybe another success story on that edge.
1: Oh my God. It's unbelievable. So I have two family members that were put on the low salt advice, right? One of them had their colon removed. And guess what? The colon helps us reabsorb salt. And so they wound up in the hospital with dehydration, low sodium levels in the blood. Another family member of mine was told to not add salt to their diet. They've wound up in the hospital twice with severe sodium deficiency in the blood and, it, like, to a level that could literally have killed them.
0: Oh, my God. And so, wow.
1: I mean, it's. It's so crazy, this low salt advice I mean, low sodium levels in the blood is is the most common electrolyte abnormality that fact alone should caution people from cutting their salt intake, but you know who who am I? you know Who am I to say that this you know this essential mineral it, you know is is some dietary demon, right? It just makes no sense
0: I was gonna say, yeah you you certainly didn't uh, write a whole book and research this because it was something you're not passionate about, not passionate about, and don't believe in. And what an easy way is it's a salt fix. It's a, it's a dumb easy fix. And, you know, usually it's something dumb. You know, a lot of times it's a selenium deficiency for thyroid. A lot of times it's, you know, it's just something dumb. I'll, the other thing I knew that was really dumb aside from the low salt advice <laughs> that my stepfather knew intuitively was the wrong advice, uh, is also the low fat thing, never made sense to people in my family, didn't make sense to to people who've been raised on farms and grew up that way with healthy lineages. And so this is another one of these things as well, where it's been demonized for and, and, it, and has hurt people. And same with the fat is bad for you. And we've seen what's happened there. Thank God we're coming around now, right?
1: Yeah, no, I mean, honestly, I mean, if that wasn't crazy enough, I mean, we decided to, I mean, it, that is terrible, low fat. Such such bad advice, right? Because we know fat is satiating, and fat can obviously provide, uh, you know, fat soluble vitamins, and you know, we know the Mediterranean diet's high in fat, also high in salt, and some of the longest living populations, literally the longest living populations, Japan and South Koreans, all eat a high salt diet. So it, it never made sense to demonize an essential mineral, and for some reason, the laws of physics on an essential mineral, it. Don't behave with salt, but it behaves with every other essential mineral. Like we, we don't demonize and tell people to eat a minimum amount of any type of mineral to live except for salt. So, I mean, just again, from that standpoint, it makes no sense, the low salt advice.
0: What, um, what are some other things you'd like to share with our audience about this, either tips or just things to look out for?
1: One really cool thing that I discovered when I was researching for the book is that when we go on these low salt diets and when i when i say a low salt diet that is less than a teaspoon of salt which is less than 2300 milligrams of sodium per day they actually put there's about 13 studies that people followed like this low salt advice and one of the studies showed that when people follow this low salt advice the body actually started pulling sodium from the bone in order to maintain normal blood sodium levels. And what ended up happening is the osteoclasts that were pulling the sodium, they're not smart enough to like just pull sodium. They were pulling magnesium and calcium too and causing the body to excrete magnesium and calcium. And they combined these 13 studies, these um, uh, like metabolic ward studies, and they actually showed that yes, Low salt diets cause calcium and magnesium deficiency because it's it, the body's pulling that those minerals from the bone, and then basically the blood levels of magnesium and calcium are rising when they're pulled from the bone, tricking the thinking that the body is oversaturated in calcium and magnesium. So the actual absorption of calcium and magnesium was shut down from the diet, and the kidneys were kicking magnesium and calcium out. So when I tell people, so many skeptics out there kind of stop in their tracks when I tell them that low-salt diets lead to negative sodium balance, where the body pulls sodium from the bone and pull magnesium and calcium, and then you lose those minerals, and it causes calcium-magnesium deficiency. Because everybody's like, well, salt is is bad. It's really magnesium. That's good. And then I tell them that, well, actually, low-salt diets cause magnesium deficiency, and the, actually upping your salt intake is going to up your magnesium intake. I kind of sell a lot of people on that point because it's just something that's been shown in like 13 human studies now, and it... It's just such an eye opener.
0: What I really love about that whole example is that in that moment that the body is pulling from somewhere else, it's trying to save your life, right? I tell that to people all the time. Your body is trying to save your life. Type 2 diabetes, your body trying to save you right? Your body's trying to save itself at all times. And in that scenario, it's trying to save you in the short term, not thinking about the bone loss long-term, right? It's just doing what it can to keep you alive in that moment. And so that in and of itself, just the fact that the body does that should show you how much you need it, right?
1: Yeah. No. And it gets a lot worse. So that's not- (laughs) Oh, great. (laughs) That's That's great. The only thing that happens, the body's smart. And what ends up happening is it shuts down The loss of salt in your sweat. And guess what it kicks out instead? Magnesium. So, literally, salt, uh, magnesium concentrations in sweat go up when you follow the low salt device. So, now you're losing magnesium through your sweat and it gets worse. What happens when we cut our salt intake? We know aldosterone levels rise and aldosterone. Is a huge magnesium waster out the kidneys. So you're just pulling magnesium from your bones, you're spitting it out the kidneys with high aldosterone levels, and then you're sweating more of it out. It is like the biggest magnesium depleter you could ever do to yourself is to cut your salt intake. And so, you know, that's why I, I really harp on magnesium because it is a controller of this, you know, the sodium potassium pump. So it controls sodium, potassium, and calcium in the body, and no one's getting enough of it, and only certain salts have a good amount of magnesium, like that Ancient Lakes magnesium-infused salt or that Celtic salt that you had mentioned. And you know, virtually no one are, cons- nobody is really consuming those type of salts.
0: What about, I mean, I, 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 do like some of the Hawaiian salts and there are some that are different than others. There's the volcanic ones that have charcoal in them a little bit. And then there's the ones that are red salt that had a little bit higher in iron. Um, but I, I really do love them. What are your thoughts on that? I, I really just prefer the taste too of Hawaiian red salt. Um, when I healed myself with the adrenals, I went straight to the, you know, wet gray Celtic crystals. Uh, but in general, I just, I, and I try to use all different kinds of salt. I think that's smart too, right? Switch it up. Um, but what do you think of some of the other like worldly sea salts that
1: are out there? Yeah, no, I love salt mixology. Uh, you got, you, you definitely got to mix up the salts because they each bring some different advantages. And so no, the, the Hawaiian salts do taste good and they actually do have decent amounts of magnesium. They got about 30 to 35 milligrams of magnesium per 10 grams of salt. And the Ancient Lakes Magnesium Infused Salt has forty-four, so not too far off. Um, okay, so they're still very, still a good choice. Yeah, they, for they just don't have iodine, and so um, Redmond Real Salt has iodine. The Ancient Lakes Magnesium Infused Salt has good iodine. Um, so those, so from that aspect of magnesium, I, does the Celtic have iodine? It does, doesn't it? it? It doesn't. It doesn't. For okay, it doesn't. Those sea salts that are from like modern day oceans, for some reason it does, they don't have iodine. I don't, I don't really necessarily know why. Um, but the ancient lakes, magnesium infused salt is kind of, it's kind of the best salt because it gives you the best of, not only magnesium, but also iodine. And Redmond Real Salt is good on iodine, but it has very low amounts of magnesium. It only has eight milligrams of magnesium per 10 grams of salt. So like you just said- So especially if you're an athlete or you've got some hypothyroidism issues you're trying to solve and they're mostly
0: depleted in magnesium, then the ancient lakes might be the best way to go just because of its magnesium content.
1: Yeah. And plus athletes are sweating out 50 micrograms of iodine per hour of exercise, but you can sweat, even, you can sweat up to 100 micro grams of iodine per hour of exercise. So if you consume five grams of the ancient lakes magnesium salt, you're going to get about 60 micrograms of iodine. So you're going to replace, you know, that hour of exercise that you just kind of wasted that iodine out of. Um, so, you know, and and it blew my mind that I, I mean, I never realized how many minerals we lose in sweat, but it's actually pretty substantial.
0: I'm going to ask you a dumb question. It's probably got its own answer already, but, but so, uh, people doing some detoxes where they're going to use a sauna or steam regularly then we have to also think about that excess sweating and re- and replenishing that as well just right that's another cuz whether it's artificially induced sweat or you're running down a trail it's still the same situation
1: yeah no like saunas are like what like 200 degrees fahrenheit i mean you lose massive amounts of minerals through sweat right i
0: mean kids in saudi arabia are given like salt pills right so that should say something well i
1: mean We used to in the 70s before this low salt advice, every sports team knew that the athletes performed way better with salt tablets. Like the British soccer team, when they played Mexico in the 1970 World Cup, literally all the British soccer players for training or during every single game got slow releasing salt tabs. Like, And then everybody freaked out about salt and cut the salt. And I mean, so many studies show that when you add salt prior to exercise, especially in the heat, that dehydration goes down, that core body temperature goes down, heart rate goes down, and we know – I mean, blood circulation is better. Dizziness, syncope, muscle spasms, muscle cramps, they all go down. I mean, it's insane to not salt before you exercise in the heat. It's literally – it's a recipe for heat stroke.
0: Ah. Gosh, so many! This is so great. I'm yeah. This and also it's summer. It's hot, and so you know what? This is the time to really jump in on the salt program, especially because it's a it's a it's a sweaty summer in a lot of in a lot of areas. Let's uh, talk about what you're doing right now. I mean, so you're a research scientist and doctor of pharmacy. Are you regularly practicing as a pharmacist on a regular basis, or what's your yeah? yeah tell us about your your life.
1: So I counsel um, patients with hypertension kidney disease, heart failure, um, autoimmune diseases. And so what's really interesting is patients with autoimmune diseases tend to be deficient in salt. So take, for example, people with inflammatory bowel disease, like people with Crohn's, ulcerative colitis, celiac disease, even people with IBS. They don't absorb salt well. And so because the intestines are inflamed and they don't absorb salt. And so you know telling people to cut their salt intake without knowing if they're absorbing it or not is so is so stupid and there's no doctor in the world that asks their patient or really delves in and and tries to figure out if that person is even absorbing salt well before they tell them to cut their salt intake.
0: Oh, that's such a classic thing. I mean, you know, it's the same with um, psychiatrists and patients who come into them depressed or supposedly bipolar, and they don't even check the thyroid first to see if that's what's causing the depression. Then you put the patient on Prozac, it lasts three months, then it doesn't work because you never got to the root of it. And so that's just another classic example of just Your standard Western doctor doing what he was trained forty years ago, not looking a little bit above and beyond into really the true mechanisms of how our bodies work.
1: Yeah. I mean, honestly, it just comes down to Western medicine just rarely wants to look at the underlying cause and just tries to go for a pill to fix something that has to do with a mineral deficiency. So taking Prozac isn't going to fix your selenium or your iodine or your salt or your magnesium deficiency. But since insurance companies don't pay for nutrient analyses and tests for that and we're not looking for that and to quite honestly no one's sponsoring studies on, you know, our disease states caused by mineral deficiencies, nobody th-
0: no, because it goes against the pharmaceutical company, and they'll stop the research at the. And that's not even to sound conspiracy theory; that's just literally what happens. So you couldn't even do the research really if you wanted to, probably.
1: No, like yeah, who's going to give you a grant to fix your, you know, your issues, your chronic diseases by adding more salt? Like, you know, no one, no one's going to do that.
0: Right there's definitely no money in it. Um, how can people get a hold of you and find your book? Where and we'll post these links, of course, in the show notes. But tell us how we can get a copy of the Salt Fix.
1: Yeah, so people can go to my website, which is thesaltfix.com. They can order it on Amazon. It's in Barnes & Noble nationwide. They can order it online in Target and Walmart. And then I'm really active on Twitter at Dr. James DeNick. And um, people can follow me on Facebook. I just posted my professional Facebook page, which is Dr. James Um Say that fast three times. And I'm also on Instagram too. So that's how people can can check out uh, some of my posts. I'm pretty, pretty active on, on my social media.
0: Excellent. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And again, the book is The Salt Fix, Why the Experts Got It All Wrong and How Eating More Might Save Your Life. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks
2: for having me. Hi folks, Mark Sisson here. And I'd like to tell you about my biggest undertaking yet, the Primal Health Coach Program. My mission is to create a global network primal health coaches to help transform the health and consciousness of our communities into ones of optimal wellness and happiness becoming a primal health coach empowers you to take your primal passions to the next level and embark on a career you love inspiring others to live lives of vitality and lasting wellness if you dream of a career in health coaching but have been held back by worries such as the investment of time and money then i encourage you to hesitate no longer Health coaching is the fastest growing specialty in all of coaching. And we've created an online education program that allows you to learn from the comfort of your own home and at your own pace. The world needs primal health coaches to provide a blend of ancestral wellness solutions to the modern health crisis. The world needs you. Are you ready to become one of the world's most trusted, experienced, and knowledgeable health coaches? To learn more about this online certification program and to take the first step toward a career you love, visit PrimalHealthCoach.com and subscribe.